Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome back to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Dave Pendleton. Dave, welcome back. How you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Spence and I have been in this morning, but we mentioned it has been a few weeks due to international travel. <laughs> Yourself, <laughs> yeah. you've been to Costa Rica and Poland. Um, and on top of that, we've just been chocker with uh, delivery in the UK. Mm. So we don't get chance to get in as much as we'd like, right? Absolutely. But we're here. And what, the reason why we're here today is we're going to focus this Hubcast on something, a piece of work you've been doing recently with a couple of organisations. Mm. We get asked a lot about the organisational cultural uh, element of performance, and, and we do a lot on culture. Um, and one of the things you're passionate about is if you're going to create a culture, we need to, first of all, eradicate any silos, mm-hmm. siloed mm-hmm. behaviour. Mm. Indeed. So we're going to talk about silos today, Dave. And before we do, and before I ask you a few questions, what is a silo? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming that most people out there will know exactly what we mean. But for those, let's take nothing for granted. What do we mean when when we're talking about siloed behavior? Well, it's very simply when people behave in an isolated manner. As a group, as a collective group, as a team, a department? All of those things. Yeah. Uh, I guess what you will probably find is that the leader of a team, the manager of a team, probably behaves that way and then that kind of mindset filters through to the rest of the team like that so let me just make an initial connection there siloed behavior can be driven usually by an individual who's thinking in an individual isolated way yep and if if that's a person of significance or influence like a leader then that will cascade down to the team and before we know it we have a siloed department in our organization who to your definition are just thinking and operating in an individual isolated way Absolutely. And and I guess moreover, um, the amount of times I've done this work with businesses, we quite often find that there is a very competitive mindset as opposed to a collaborative mindset. Yeah. And that's not even necessarily where sales departments are involved because that's the obvious candidate. But it's certainly where there are different departments carrying out different tasks. And as long as their task is done and complete, they're quite happy. And and there's very little thought about how their performance impacts on the one next to them and the one next to them the other way. Yeah. So let's give a, a real-life example of this. For example, if an organization sets their year's goals and vision around they want to reduce cost by 20%, uh, they want to launch two new product sets with the aim of then enabling the sales team to increase revenue. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the mainstay of, of, the, of the plan for the next year or so. Yeah. That then filters down into the different departments. So you've potentially got finance who are going to try and cut costs because they want to save the 20%, right? So they're focused on what they need to do. Mm -hmm. You've got the product dev team trying to spend money on research (laughs) and development and creating new products and services. And you've got the sales team who are trying to continue the growth of the company. So you've got three different areas there who are trying to achieve the same thing. But if they're not careful and they're, they're operating in silos, 
they're going to counteract each other and actually yeah. hinders e- hinder each other's ability to execute. Yeah, and, and each one would more than likely end up blaming the other one for a lack of success. I'm trying to save money, says finance, and yeah. you're bloody spending it, R&D team. And R&D team, we're trying to spend money, and we're finance, trying to... you're trying to stop us spending money. Yeah. Yeah. And then sales are at the end of the chain saying, Where's my new products and service? We've got to we've got to sell 20% more gear. Yeah. We haven't got any products and services and we ain't got a budget. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden then we have this push and pull mentality. Yes. Where we're operating in silos. And as long as finance can say to the CEO at the end of the year, we've saved the 20%. We've done and, our job. And as long as product dev can say we've created three fantastic new products. We've done our job. And as long as sales say we've increased revenue by 20%, we've done our job. Correct. But the that it doesn't work in isolation, right? It no. just doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah, so that siloed behavior, it's where individuals or teams are focusing internally on what they need to achieve regardless of the bigger picture. Correct. So collaboration yeah, breaks absolutely. down. And as long as I thrive, if you all fall, then that's not my problem type, no, absolutely. type thing. Uh, and the cause, the cause in every organization that I've worked with is all around protection, protecting ourselves, me protecting our team, which is an admirable trait and quality in somebody absolutely is, you know, me wanting to protect my team. But when that's at the expense of the greater good, that's not a good thing. Mm. And actually it doesn't need to be like that either. And this is a cultural thing, Dave. This absolutely for me sits under organizational culture and it's what CEOs, senior executives, directors, senior management teams should be responsible for looking out for. If they want to achieve their business goals and the collective vision, they cannot afford to have siloed behavior. No. So, so, but quite often, Dave, they're the culprits responsible for driving siloed behavior, right? And they wonder why they can't progress at, you know, in the way they want to. So I think it's important on this podcast, Dave, if, 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 you, if, if I sort of invite you in to, to talk about this is, I think it's the leadership team and organization's role to recognize if they have siloed behavior in their organization. And if they recognize it, to do something about it, to make the change, to galvanize the wider group and to get everybody focused mm. on the ultimate outcome. Mm. Absolutely. And the whole is therefore greater than the sum of its parts, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you hit on a really great point <clears throat> about culture. Um, you know, as, as we know, cultures, uh, there is always a shadow cast from the top. We call it you know, casting the cultural shadow. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, whenever we, whenever we try and engage in work that, that's going to make some sort of progress in terms of helping to assist to change the culture, we always like to start at the top because that's where we believe culture needs to be to be set from, right? Yeah. Now, the work that I've been doing with organisations around this this sort of siloed mentality, I guess there is always a bit of denial from the top. You know, the top would say or suggest. No, 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 it's not us at all. No, 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 we absolutely believe in collaboration. But then all you've got to do is listen to, to the language that they use in communication. You look at the emails that they send out to certain departments and, and even their own background. Because generally speaking, people who, who have come into senior leadership uh, tiers have come from certain backgrounds. So you might get somebody come from sales, from support, from tech dev or whatever else. And, and they always have a little bias towards that department. So they always kind of like to support that department just a little bit more than the rest. But they would deny uh, and they would say that, no, we're absolutely all about collaboration. Yeah. But when you actually get into the truth, that's probably not quite the truth. Absolutely. So if we was to, um, on this podcast, discuss some tactical, sort of practical things we can do 
to either recognize or guard against siloed behavior? What are the big ones? What are the what are the things we've got to look out for? Well, I tell you, I tell you what my observation is first, I guess, before we get into that. Okay. Um, because it, it, it kind of made sense to me. I had, a, I had one of these very rare sort of light bulb moments where we have an epiphany. Um, the first time I was doing this work with an organization a few months ago. And, you know, there are an awful lot of businesses out there that, that have uh, vision statements, mission statements, you know, a whole long list of values and so on and so forth. Uh, and I, I guess, unfortunately for most businesses, they are written and deployed by corporate externals where businesses pay a fortune of money to and it gets it gets printed on the reception you know on the big wall this is what we live and die by and so on and so forth but actually when you ask people to reiterate what those vision mission statements are and what the values that support them very rarely can anybody remember them oh yeah I walk past them every day but uh oh um, oh, I think it's something around uh, something or other, whatever. Oh, I can't quite remember. Unless, it, unless it's an acronym of the company name, which they've managed to shoehorn a set of values in, yeah, which maybe, then you think, yeah. what's the, you know, what's the credibility anyway? of that? Yeah, You've yeah, just absolutely. shoehorned sayings into your, your, your brand, you know. Sure, absolutely. <clears throat> so, so, I mean, I, I sort of came up with a, a three-point theory in terms of no understand and reiterate so a do you know what the vision is do you know what the mission is and do you know what the values are that that the business is supposed to be working with do you understand them because it's okay knowing them but do you understand what they mean to you as a business and then reiterate can you reiterate what they are as a leader as a senior leader to everybody around you and underneath you that needs to be practicing and preaching the vision, mission, and values. And not yet once have I come across a business that can do that. Yeah. And so, for, me, so, for me, that's the glue. That's yeah. the glue that keeps the competition, the internal competition away and steadies the mindset of collaboration. Yeah. If we're all pulling in the same direction, according to what the business told us they want to do. The only business I've ever known do it successfully um, is the one I work for, Gartner. And and um, for such a huge organization, that's the one thing it did incredibly mm, well. It's very impressive. Ev yeah. Everybody knew. We used to have this thing at Gartner, and it sounds it sounds cheesy, but I'm telling you, anybody in the organization could recite it yeah. at, at, on command. Yeah. And it was it was called the seven steps, the pathway to gold. Mm. And the pathway to gold was rolled out. Um, it was rolled out, you know, globally to every region. Mm. And it was the seven steps to success. Yeah. The seven things we all had to do every single day to grow the business, to deliver to customers, et cetera. Mm. And I could probably almost recite them now. You know, it was, it was, um, it was drive high activity, so we, in the this was a sales organization. Sales, yeah. Sure. So it was, it was, yeah. but we were a sales. Sure. The whole of Gartner was sales led. So yeah. it was all around that. It was you've got to drive by activity. You've got to put the customer first. Was was number two. It was <clears throat> it was engage uh, customers at events. So one of the things we found is when a customer came to one of our events, they were more wowed and had f and mm. received far more value for their investment than the ones who didn't attend events. Sure. So it was actually one of the seven steps of the pathway to gold. Mm. Mm. Um, there was all there was, and, and, and it goes on and on and on. And 
you know, everybody could could live by them. Everybody yeah. could recite them. Sure. And you and what you used to do, Dave, on a daily basis, you used if you was having a tough time or you wasn't achieving the outcomes, you'd look at the pathway to gold and you say, mm. which of the seven am I not doing? Absolutely. Am I not driving events attendance? Am mm. I not driving high activity? Am I not engaging my clients every single day? Am I, you know, and 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 you could find one or two things that you weren't doing, yeah. and you do them, which is a self reflection piece. <clears throat> it was, and it yeah, was absolutely. It, it it was it wasn't a values or a mission piece, but it was the seven hmm. things. And what they did is they got a very expensive company in to survey the top performing people across the organisation, hmm. and these seven steps were present in all of the top performing absolutely. people. So it actually came from the organisation, from real data. Yeah within the organization already mm, and all yeah, that, yeah. all that the company did is say everybody should strive to do this better sure. it was genius and they did it really really well but what was good about that is it was driven from the top it was on every call it was in every meeting every mm. regional kickoff yep. it was collateral online to access mm. it was they, they, they created a little brand that was in the bottom of everybody's emails sure. it was in your mm. face 24 7 and people yep. were living and breathing it and um yeah and that then galvanizes a group to achieve something mm. i guess you've hit the nail on the head there because once you know once there's been a launch of this the these new vision mission and values once it's been posted up in reception you know generally speaking most organizations don't reiterate it they don't live by it they don't measure it so it, it kind of becomes an almost pointless exercise which allows people to forget about it which yeah. allows people to behave in a way that they think is fit yeah. rather than a way that the organization wants. Yeah. I'd say the last step on the seven steps of the pathway to gold was um, was create C-level relationships. Mm. And it was always right at the top. And that was a remarkable one on why Gartner's so successful. Their, me their, their methodology was, unless we are directly dealing with C-level in our customer organizations, yeah. we, are, we are creating C-level relationships, then we're always going to be at risk mm. of not, maintaining that mm. revenue and that customer yeah, or growing. Absolutely. So if you're three down, right, if you're dealing with the head of department or a manager, mm. that's fine for now, but you must you try to create yeah. C-level relationships sure. with every customer. And, and you know, we'd be measured on that. Mm. Yeah, it's great. This is a great performance in this account, Martin, but are you operating at sea level? level yeah. Do you have a relationship with the CEO, the CIO, the mm. CFO? Who are they? Do you know them? Have you ever met them? Mm. And we were challenged every day that, that's what we needed to do. And and therefore, it became habitual for everybody in the organization to drive those C-level relationships. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think your point there, Dave, is before you even get to recognizing silos, mm. one of the things you must do is if you can try and be clear and effective with your vision and your mission across the organization, that's already going a, a long way to mm. avoiding siloed behavior in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Because everybody knows what's where they're headed and what they're Absolutely. contributing to. What's the point in being there? Why are we here? That's exactly what it is. Cool. And what is the way? Okay. So, have you got any building coming down from that? Then, um, what do you see in organisations where there is clear siloed behaviour? How do you recognise it? Yeah, I've got a few down here. I mean, they're in no particular order. So, you know, there isn't like a number one that I've seen so far or a number two. But um, certainly, certainly the one that I've I've recognised, and when I talk about this in groups you know there is always sort of nods and acknowledgements and people sort of looking sideways at each other as if to say oh crikey that happens in our business doesn't it mm. <laughs> little sort of admission stage you know 
um, which is a bit uncomfortable yeah. for some. Well, but no, but that's the beauty about what we do. Yeah, it if is. you can't sit in a room offsite in a safe environment and admit yeah, that your organisation yeah. falls fouls yeah. of this, then where can you do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that thing is is I call it broken customer experiences. So it's not necessarily where we are letting the customer down in a major way. But different people have different ways of dealing with the same customer, which creates this customer experience that that is never really galvanized in this is the way we deal with customers. And let's say that's from a business context, but it still applies in the context of, let's say it's an NHS organization or a police force or a fire service or a council. Hmm. It still accounts for the way you deal with the patient or the way you deal with the public. Yeah. Yeah. So every single time we come in to see a patient, every single person will have a smile on the face. Because it's one of our core values. Every single person will engage the customer in conversation, not necessarily about their health or medication. Every single time we engage the customer or the patient in this case, we will review X yeah. rather than some people doing it and some people not. Yeah. So whatever whatever it is, it's it's creating, allowing people to be themselves. And this is an important point, Dave. We've got to allow individuals, as we know, to be themselves and, and, and in their own behavioral style and personality style. However, we need some consistency in the approaches and the values. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in the way we do certain things. Yeah. Um, which then avoids that, what did you call it? The um, broken customer broken experiences. Customer experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Consistency is the exact word that you've just used there. Consistency. Consistency of approach. Yeah. You know, and making sure that every single person deals with customers exactly the same way that fits into their own way. Yeah. I.e. their own personality. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Does that make sense for that one? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, okay. The second one I've got is, um, and this is a really interesting one, uh, and, and a a few organizations that I've worked with, they kind of shrug the shoulders a little bit. Once we start digging a bit deeper, there's an awful lot of acknowledgement for where you get a larger business with different departments. Uh, and I, I particularly experienced this one in, in, a, in a tech organization. And it's internal unfamiliarity. Right. I.e., people know each other by name. They know each other by face they're not actually sure what this person does as a department. Love it. I love this one. Um, and, and even going, building upon that, some people, Dave, don't even know the person by face or name. No, maybe not. Uh, the, the, the larger the organisation, the more difficult mm. this gets. But It's just an email address. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you are unfamiliar with people in different departments – on a personal level, but also in terms of a professional level of what they actually do and what they contribute mm. to the wider mm. business, then you're not going to be in sync with them. You're not going to be thinking about them when you're no. making your decisions. Absolutely. And therefore, you're going to create siloed behavior. So it's, mm. it's the thing we talk about. You know, we, we say it's simple, but reach out into every corner of your Absolutely. business and build an ally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find out what people do and what they can do for you, sure. right? Sure. And when you don't do that, you're operating without any care in the world or any thought process around how it impacts yeah, absolutely. potential sure. others. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. So on our um, fantastic social mastery days, where we ask people to give quite candid feedback about their friends and colleagues in the room, how many times have you come across a professional leader who openly admits, because of feedback from their friends and colleagues in the room, that they need to be more visible in yeah. the organization? Yeah, and, and, and there's another thing that saying that happens quite a lot in the room when I run them, 
which is um, somebody will feed back on them. And when we're going through that feedback, they will turn around and say, and they'll look at the person in the eye. And this mm. is a person who mm. is operating at their level mm. yeah. in a different area of the business. Yeah. It's their peer, right? And they'll Sorry. look at them and they'll say, I need to come and spend some time with you. Yes. That yeah. saying happens yeah. all the time. And it's like, it's taken three yeah. years and for you to be in this room <laughs> to say to that person, I need to come and yeah. find out more about what you yes. do. I mean, that is just, that. Yeah. that is exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. And sometimes they say, over a coffee, sometimes they say over a beer, sometimes they say over a gin and tonic. However, somebody's going to do it. Just, just the the value of getting together to to break the potential or to break that silo, mm. you know, and allow people to understand what all departments do, what their function is, and and how they function is incredibly important. Go sit in the team meeting. Ask them if you can be invited to one of their weekly team meetings and just sit and observe and listen to what the challenges they face and what they're Absolutely. working on and what they do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Cool. Uh, the next one I've got is the the old us versus them mentality. Yeah. Which we probably see in, in virtually every organization that we ever deal with. Uh, and you know what? Some of that is okay, you know, because as long as we're striving to achieve, that's a really good thing. But again, it's got to fit into the bigger picture and it can't hinder other departments' progress. Yeah. One of the biggest triggers of this, Dave, is when there is a falling out, a previous incident or a falling out between the leaders of each department. And what happens is, I know notorious manufacturing organizations where something's happened eight years ago (laughs) in a certain meeting between two directors of different departments. it's, It's well known in the organization. It's quite a public spat. Mm. and it is still living on eight years later. And not only that, but the directors go back into their departments and they slag off what, you know, the other person, and that cascades down to the team. So the team start going, yeah, we don't like those people in in procurement because they're blockers. So so we start creating siloed behavior over a spat or a disagreement between two leaders, and they've Mm. cascaded that down, Mm. and and the and that that lives on and on and on, and it's and 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 it gets bigger the longer it goes on, right? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. personal clashes, personal differences Mm. at senior level create that type of siloed behavior. It's maybe one of the biggest causes, and that then to your point, Dave. I think that fuels an us and them mentality. Yeah, for sure. It so does. anytime mm. we can mm. bypass procurement, anytime we yeah, can enforce yeah. something through that they can't stop, yeah. and vice versa, procurement say, anytime I can kibosh a project, anytime I can put the blockers on something, yeah. and it becomes that personal vendetta. And, and we see that in organizations all the time. And yeah, these are grown yeah. adults and professionals who are allowing this to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, an unbelievable example um, of something very similar I witnessed very, very recently was in an organization that had a sales uh, department uh, and a compliance department. Sales very much viewed compliance as a blocker to sales because compliance were the ones coming back and saying, guys, you can't do that. It's against FCA regulation. So you've got to tell your people not to advise on a sales call. They cannot advise. It's against the law. If we're audited by the FCA, it will cost us £50,000 per incident. And some of your sales guys are doing this four or five times on a call. So then sales get the ump yeah, because they've then got to retrain their salespeople not to advise, which slows the sales process and maybe even inhibits um, 
positive sales success. So then sales start competing against compliance. Compliance start competing against sales because they're the ones at risk of these 50,000 quid per incident fines. And you've immediately and instantly got these two silos working against each other and, and instead of being an enabler of each other. And all of the time that this is happening, customers are not deliver, receiving the experience Correct. they should, right? And so, the organization's not making the money. Yeah. Siloed behavior is detrimental, but that particular one you've just talked about, us versus them, it's always a, either a personal vendetta or when something's happened that you're perceiving as they are trying to stop you from doing something. Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. isn't the case. And if we have the mutual understanding of what people are there to achieve and we can work together and around it, that's what we want to do. But, you know, quite often, and I'll say it frankly, and anybody listening to this podcast, I want you to think about your organization and if this is happening. And if it is, it's your duty to do something about it is when two senior people fall out, that is the biggest instigator of us versus them. Yeah. And you either have to, as adults, address that immediately and put it to bed. Yeah. Or if it was me and I was the CEO, I wouldn't have that in my senior leadership team. And I would make a change because I can, I, I just know how poisonous that can be on an ongoing basis. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another really good one I've got down here. Uh, and again, you, you know, when I first mentioned this one, there's a little hesitancy. But as soon as we start digging just a little deeper... It, it becomes obvious and, and there's a lot of acknowledgement and it's work duplication. Yeah. Especially where people are communicating externally. So for example, in a, um, in a sales situation where a product has got to be delivered to a customer, you, you might have product development, you might have marketing, you might have sales, you might have distribution and warehousing and logistics, all part of the same process. When one part of it breaks down, Another one will compensate, but then the other one will carry on the process as normal. So what you might find is the customer ends up with two products or, or no products. Or, you know, warehousing and not responding to the customer calls and emails. So the customer will call their buddy who is also the CEO or, or a member of the senior leadership yep. team and say, listen, can you help me out here? I'm getting no response yeah, from getting your warehousing from warehouse, team. Yeah. So then the CEO will cash, will, will pull some strings get one of his senior bods on it, they will then respond to you and say, don't worry, I've personally sent another one out in the post it will yeah. with you tomorrow. Warehousing then sends you one when they get through their backlog. You yeah. receive two, yeah. ring the ring the warehouse up and say, well, so-and-so's already sent me one. Warehousing are now fuming because <laughs> you bypassed their process and undermine yeah, 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 them. Exactly. And that's where then the politics come into play. Yeah, you've, you've got it exactly. Uh, and especially things like we talk about communication, you know, which is a perfect example of work duplication where, you know, one of the departments is communicating something to the customer, but that wasn't their job. It was the job of the next team in the chain. Mm. So then the next team in the chain communicate to that to the customer and the customer says, well, I already know. So-and-so, so-and-so from sales has already phoned me about that. And then it creates annoyance and anger from logistics and warehouse, for example, uh, and then logistics and warehouse and sales start to fall out because yeah. actually you're you're not letting the process go to us like you should do, mm. and it's causing duplication and confusion. So so duplication of work is a, I guess it's an unusual title, but once we start digging a little deeper, there's an awful lot of acknowledgement, and, and and usually it's around possession of task or possession of process, not not handing something over to a relevant department because. 
we just don't trust them to do the right job. Yeah, absolutely. And whether you're in, in technology, this happens a lot as well. If you're a communication service provider and you've got a field of engineers out in the field, absolutely. you've got a customer service yeah. team internally, you know, you've got the people who are actually holding up the platform and the technology at the back end. And when a customer comp- customer complaint or customer issue comes in, it touches multiple, all of those teams have a role to play. And if they're not collaborating and communicating, duplication happens and siloed behavior starts to you know, starts to grow. Yeah, absolutely. That's a it's a cool one. So, a uh, couple of minutes left, Dave. Um, some some absolute cracking, obvious things there, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will resonate. Goes on in I'm their sure organization. <laughs> it does yeah. in every organization. Yeah. And the more we can, uh, and I think that's the this is the thing. The more we can discuss these issues openly and honestly, absolutely. without emotion and blame, yeah. and start to work on them. You know, until we do that, we're always going to have a level of siloed behavior, which is then going to inhibit an overarching culture to form, yeah. and the productivity is going to go down as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we'll, there's a lot of value in doing another podcast yeah. on, on how to start breaking this stuff down. Oh, well, let's do that next day. Eh? So yeah, sure. that's an introduction to siloed behavior. We've talked about what it is. We've talked about the number one thing that inhibits it in the first place, which is a lack of clarity around yes. the vision and the mission. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about two or three things there that, you know, you've got to watch out for that actually recognition, yeah. siloed behavior. Yeah. And um, and it happen in all organizations, but it's the leadership team's, I think, ownership and responsibility to start breaking these down and and, and improving them. Yeah. Um, and like you say, Dave, we'll probably return for another podcast mm. and we'll talk about uh, in, in depth a little bit more. What can we do about it? What can we do about Absolutely. it and, and how do we, you know, do we turn the turn the ship, if you like? Sure. Dave Pendleton, that was fascinating. Um, good to get you back in the Hubcast room. It's been a while. It has been a while, and we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast. 